What's up, everybody? Welcome back to Ath Legal Ease. I'm your host, Mark Houston II Esquire. And today is officially 2021, January 1st, 2021. Wow, what a year we've been through. 2020 was quite hectic. So welcome to episode number 17. This is going to be our 2020 sports year in review, live in the booth. Because here at Athlegalese, we always call it up to the booth for further review. And upon further review, we got a lot to say. So with all the formalities, let's get right into the formalities. Now, this isn't your favorite argumentative sports cast or gossip site, and it definitely ain't your professor's podcast. This is a legal business perspective, coupled with a true love of sport, dictated to the culture, for the culture, by a sports attorney. And as a general disclaimer, the information provided on this podcast does not and is not intended to constitute legal advice. Instead, all information, content, and materials available on this podcast are for general informational purposes only. Now, just like every other episode, and this year will not be any different from years past, we start our episodes off with a heat check. So heat check 1212. We'd love to know what you guys are wearing. Add us, tweet us, DM us, send us a photo. Whatever you like, let us know what you're wearing for tonight's episode. For tonight's episode, I'm wearing the Jordan 1 Retro OG Royal. This week's shout-out goes out to Becky Hammond, NBA assistant coach, who made history this week by coaching the San Antonio Spurs against the Los Angeles Lakers after Coach Pop Greg Popovich was ejected in the first half. The Lakers went on to win 121-107. to On this day in sports history, in the year 404, the last gladiator competition was held in Rome. In 1902, the first Rose Bowl held at Tournament Park, Pasadena, California was held. Michigan beat Stanford 49-0. In 1909, American Robert Fowler runs then world record marathon at a time of 2 hours, 52 minutes, 45 seconds in Yonkers, New York. And also in 1992, the ESPN Radio Network was officially established and launched. And as you can say, the rest is history. Now, speaking of history, what else is now in the history books is the year 2020. So here we are, January 1st, 2021. And we've seen how the sports landscape has changed. Some may say for the better, some may say for worse. But nonetheless, we were able to get all sports back in various capacities. Uh, Each major sport, U.S. sport, even European sports, were able to uh, complete their entire seasons. So the NBA finished with the Lakers as the champions. Uh, The NFL is still ongoing. MLB finally concluded. Um, We had UFC uh, combat sports come back. Uh, Golf has been back. There's been a lot of charity events and and whatnot. 
But the big elephant in the room has always been the bubble and if it would work and how it would work. Now, we saw the NBA was able to complete their entire season without uh, having many hiccups at all. Um, I don't remember there were any cancellations, um, and I think they had a 0% positivity rate. Uh, so all their their athletes, all the players down there, coaches, staff, et cetera, that were down in the bubble, all tested, never tested positive. We've seen, you know, differing results from how the NCAA uh, made things happen. Uh, we saw the major scandals and happenings with the MLB have a, having to cancel events, the MLS having to cancel events, the NFL having to cancel events. Um, so we see that the bubble does work. Now, the leagues aren't necessarily embracing a bubble um, for the start of this season, the new NBA season. Uh, they've adopted more of a format uh, where the teams uh, sort of travel from uh, jurisdiction to jurisdiction, city to city to play each other. They do do that sort of in a back-to-back um, sort of setup. So just that just got me thinking about, you know, how things really have played out over, you know, the past few months, uh, almost a year at least at this point, um, and some of the big business legal questions uh, that were sort of at play uh, throughout the year. So jumping right in it, the biggest and I think most overarching issue that we saw, at least from a transactional contractual standpoint, uh, is the force majeure clause. Now, the force majeure clause, of course, is a clause we covered in our very first episode um, and essentially translate to an act of God or a superior power or event that sort of takes over and supersedes what is uh, contractually obligated um, in these various contracts. And more specifically, the force majeure event uh, or this superior power or event or else an act of God uh, type of event uh, must be defined. And also this event must also prevent and or delay the performance of the party's obligation under a contract due to a unforeseen disruption so the instances mentioned um, must have been unforeseen to the parties or else explicitly mentioned in these various clauses now these clauses are very boilerplate they sound kind of complicated but they're very boilerplate but it's huge to determine uh, whether or not uh, the obligations must be fulfilled under the contract by the parties and we've seen this play out throughout the various leagues, whether it was the NFL, the MLB, the NBA, um, and also the NCAA with a few of their varying contracts. Now, this you know goes down a long sort of uh, rabbit's hole, if you will, whether or not uh, you know individuals will be paid, the players, athletes, coaches will be paid for games uh, that may or may not have been played, delayed, canceled. Uh, it also affects the sponsorship uh, deals that we see with a lot of these various uh, teams and the big apparel companies. With that said, for example, um, the NFL collective bargaining agreement at that time did not have an explicit force majeure clause that included instances of a pandemic or epidemic, uh, a global or domestic, uh, that would cancel their season. Now we've seen that the force majeure clause 
didn't really have to come into effect because the NFL has been able to continue their season. Had they not been able to do so, though, there would have been a lot of litigation back and forth as to whether or not, uh, you know, the pandemic leading to cancellations, leading to ticket sales not occurring and or perhaps broadcasters backing out of the various deals uh, would have an effect on, uh, you know, the pockets of the LLCs all involved. They kind of dodged a bullet in that sense. Uh, were able to renegotiate a collective bargaining agreement uh, that allowed the season to continue. Now, in the NBA, contrastly, the NBA did have the foresight to include a force majeure clause. Now, uh, NBA CBA Article 39.5, there's a force majeure clause that permits the NBA to terminate the CBA and reduce teams' obligation to pay players for games that are canceled on account of a qualifying cataclysmic event. One of these cataclysmic type events is defined explicitly in the contract as an epidemic. Now, within that force majeure clause, there's language that doesn't just allow one party to get straight out of the contract, uh, but what it does is creates an obligation of both sides to engage in good faith for negotiations uh, in a a 60-day window. So the parties have to come to the bargaining table and in good faith have to negotiate back and forth to see if the uh, season would continue, uh, whether or not the reasonings for um, sort of invalidating the contractual obligations under these contracts uh, is just um, in for cause um, in that instance. And here, of course, uh, a cataclysmic event, as I stated, is defined as an epidemic, which we see uh, with the COVID-19 virus. So interestingly enough, though, a force majeure event did occur with one of the major leagues. Major League Soccer, the MLS, uh, their collective bargaining agreement just a couple days ago uh, ended up in a great deal of jeopardy when the league informed the MLSPA that it will be invoking its force majeure clause uh, located in their collective bargaining agreement. Now, similar to the NBA, this triggers language inside that clause that states that in a 30-day renegotiation window uh, and renegotiating window that the uh, two sides, the league and the Players Association, have to come to terms um, and agree on another collective bargaining agreement. Now, MLS Vice President, I'm reading an article from um, NBC Sports, MLS President Mark Abbott told ESPN that the decision is due to the likelihood of low or no, excuse me, low or no crowds next season due to the ongoing COVID-19 pandemic. So similar to in a situation um, that the NFL was able to avoid, MLS, uh, the league side at least, uh, is stating that these two sides should likely not go forward with the season uh, under the terms of this collective bargaining agreement due to the likelihood of low or no crowds next season, which of course is going to affect their pockets, is going to affect how much money they're bringing in, um, uh, stadium merchandise and concessions and ticket sales, etc., parking. All of those things are taken in consideration, uh, into consideration 
uh, in making these decisions. So, of course, the two sides aren't very, you know, excited about this, especially the MLSPA, because they then responded with a uh, very interesting uh, press release uh, that sort of uh, denoted um, their their disposition and their uh, frustration, I think, with, you know, this process, of course, that's, um, you know, totally legally, um, a total legal right of uh, the MLS uh, to invoke this clause. Um, but they state, you know, and of course, in their opinion, from what they release, uh, today, less than one, de- one week after players completed the most challenging season in MLS history, the league notified the Major League Soccer Players Association that it intends to invoke the force majeure clause in the collective bargaining agreement. This action sets sets in motion a process that could result in the league and its owners abandoning the existing collective bargaining agreement and commitments made to players for the second time in less than nine months. And I discussed in a previous um, episode uh, the two negotiation, the negotiation process uh, from the MLS and the um, MLSPA um, and coming to an actual agreement. It had a lot to do with guaranteed money. It had a lot to do with how players are transferred and who owns the rights to those players, um, etc. Those were a lot of concessions and commitments made by the league to the players' association to actually continue uh, the season, which they they did in a bubble. Um, and so now you can see after you know such a rigorous back and forth between the two sides, um, you know probably pretty contentious, similar to what we saw in the uh, MLB negotiations uh, to start the season. Um, how a lot of work basically, you know, one side feels is kind of all thrown out, uh, due to this instance. Now we'll have to see how this all plays out. You know, of course we'll be hearing, uh, very soon, uh, maybe in the next couple months or at least the deadline is 30 days. So in the next month or so, uh, to see how those two sides are going to play that out. (laughs) Moving to the next topic. Um, we talked a lot about, um, the NCAA, uh, and how things have played out with the name, image, and likeness situation. Now, I think it's probably best to go over the, the name, image, and likeness changes, um, that are on the horizon for the NCAA because we yet have another deadline coming up, uh, January 20, uh, January 31, 21, I believe is when the NCAA is supposed to vote on what i'm sorry this january 31st 2021 so by the end of this month we'll have a decision from the ncaa as to whether or not they will approve uh, legislation that will allow ncaa players to profit and monetize their name image and likeness now this has been a long contentious battle between uh you know proponents of the uh sort of pay-to-play model versus the individuals who uh, believe that the players are getting a bargain for exchange uh, for the scholarships that they receive to the various universities. Now, doesn't really matter what side of the argument you're on. I see, you know, uh, some plausible and, you know, and and logical arguments on both sides. Um, However, here, the individual who doesn't get paid out of the situation, the athlete now will potentially have an opportunity to get those endorsement and sponsorship deals. Now, 
one might ask, what is the what is name, image, and likeness, and how does it even work? Well, it's all rooted in the right of publicity. Uh, the right of pub publicity prevents the unauthorized commercial use of an individual's name, likeness, image, or other recognizable aspects of one's persona. So we all have it. Um, we all have this right to monetize off our name, image, and likeness. Furthermore, it gives an individual the exclusive right to license the use of their identity for commercial promotion, which is re really at the root of what an endorsement sponsorship deal uh, really is. Uh, you really connect a brand uh, with an individual who's recognizable, um, you know, on whatever scale, the macro, micro scale. Um, and so just like what we see in the pros, we're now going to see in the NCAA level. Which is going to cause, you know, uh, uh, is really going to stir the pot um, and really going to change the way how, um, you know, marketers, athletes, social media, digital marketing, etc. is all going to work. I mean, now it's going to open up. Um, attorneys are going to be able to represent athletes in certain capacities. There are going to be marketing agents that can represent athletes um, in various capacities. So that's going to put a lot of pressure on the um, administrators um, and the compliance officers, the compliance offices at these various universities um, to, you know, stop this um, illegitimate, uh, if you will, quote unquote, uh, pay for play model that the NCAA um, seems to want to prevent um, has held on so, so tightly uh, with their amateurization um, and their amateur status uh, model. So yeah, be sure to check out episode two in which we delve into that a little bit more. We actually look at the recommendations uh, that came from the NCAA think tank um, in which they sort of lay out what they believe uh, the legislation should cover, um, what, what it should forbid, what, should it, uh, what it should prohibit, what it should um, uh, permit uh, in various instances involving the NCAA athletes. It's a pretty good topic, so... Definitely don't want to miss that. Now, sort of part and parcel uh, with that conversation um, is also a case we've been following for the past uh, almost year or so now, uh, which is the Zion Williamson representation case, uh, which recently um, uh, Zion secured a, a victory down in uh, the District Court of Florida. Um, the district court down in Florida that um, granted and overturned a decision rendered in uh, early December uh, that a, a federal court in Florida actually turned over a lower court's decision uh, to dismiss uh, Zion's motion to dismiss a lawsuit for lack of personal jurisdiction. Now, um, not to get too ahead of myself, but uh, this lawsuit was brought by Gina Ford, um, who's an agent with Prime Sports. Um, she's a marketing endorsement rep um, who alleges she signed a contract with Zion to represent him, a five-year contract uh, to be exact. Um, she did a, a, a bit of work for the first few weeks and then she was fired by Zion, um, who ultimately signed with uh, the juggernaut CAA. Um, Ford argues that under this agreement, she's owed $10 million plus 
uh, for Zion unlawfully terminating their contract and signing with CAA. She alleges that um, on Zion's behalf, she negotiated deals with companies such as Puma, Activision, Publishing, EA Sports, Burger King, Mercedes-Benz, T-Mobile, and, and a company called BioSteel um, that were going to net him some you know, pretty lucrative off-the-court um, sums of money in terms of the endorsement sponsorship deals. Now, the case really all revolved um, around an NCAA loophole, if you will, which we just discussed, uh, this amateurism. And it really hinges on whether or not Zion forfeited his eligibility once he signed with Ford, as she alleges. Now, in that case, Zion argued that uh, it was a violation of North Carolina's Uniform Athlete Agent Act uh, that requires representatives of college to warn players in writing about the NCAA eligibility impact and how that's affected uh, by a player signing with an agent. And for those who don't know to clarify, once an athlete signs with an agent, they're no longer deemed um, an amateur um, and can no longer qualify for the NCAA sport. So basically they're done. They have to declare for the draft to go play overseas, uh, whatever, whatever the case is. Now, The contract uh, that was produced um, supposedly clearly omitted uh, a warning that's required under the NC and the North Carolina Uniform Athlete Act. Um, and since that was omitted, uh, you know the the law basically mandates that act basically mandates that a player is warned in writing uh, in the contract that they're going to sign. Um, you know, that, that I think that probably strengthened Williams' case. But Ford's argument was that Zion Williamson was no longer a college athlete on the date that he signed uh, and declared for the draft. So he declared for the draft. Um, so he supposedly declared for the draft April 15th, 2019. Um, and thus, when he signed the contract on April 20th, 2019, that he was no longer supposedly uh, protected by the Uniform Athlete Act. Now, in response to this, uh, you know, over the months that uh, sort of played out uh, last year, um, Zion sued Prime Sports to end the enforcement of his agreement. And he insisted that the contract he signed with Prime Sports in April uh, to represent him in endorsement deals was void under as I stated, the North Carolina Uniform Agent Act. So since then, he was served with uh, requests for admissions, and those requests for admissions uh, were sort of trying to tease out the fact that he was compensated, he or his family or family members or handlers, managers, whoever you want to, uh, whatever you know, adjective you want to use to um, define them, the people around him. Uh, received illegal benefits. He or someone around him received uh, illegal benefits, which, of course, caused an athlete to not be amateur, again, under the NCAA uh, standard. And thus, if he signed that contract uh, after receiving that, he technically wasn't an NCAA athlete, and that would lead to a, a court to conclude, perhaps, that uh, the contract between the two uh, is valid. 
Now, it got to the point almost where um, other individuals of the Duke organization were subpoenaed uh, to have to testify, uh, with requests to testify um, and give a dep deposition under oath uh, as to how uh, Zion ended up signing at Duke, whether or not he um, uh, was compensated in any sort of way, whether or not his family members or uh, individuals associated with him were at all compensated. Um, now, in December, just a couple, uh, a few weeks ago, Zion secured a huge uh, ruling um, in Florida. And as I stated right at the top of this segment, um, the court reversed the lower court's previous order that denied his motion to dismiss the lawsuit for lack of personal jurisdiction. So, you know, not to get uh, too far down to the legal, uh, you know, issues, but essentially she couldn't sue him in Florida because he wasn't domiciled. He wasn't doing a lot of work in Florida is essentially what they're saying. So uh, the court uh, did a conclusion based on that. And that's, you know, the civ pro the civil procedure side of things, um, you know, initiated, you know, in a lawsuit. And, you know, some of these technicalities can get you out of these big lawsuits because he was on the on the fence or on the line for, you know, a hundred million dollars in damages for a breach of contract. So the case was thrown out in Florida. I believe there's a case still pending in North Carolina. So we'll see how that all plays out. <laughs> Moving on to the next topic. Uh, you know, we had to cover uh, the incident uh, involving Lou Williams and those lemon pepper wings. Now, during the bubble, Lou Will was caused, you know, a few waves, uh, a bit of a scandal for his uh, absence um, from the bubble. Now, his absence was, you know, uncovered uh, by a photo in which he took uh, with a rapper in the infamous, uh, famous, if you will, strip club, Magic City um, in Atlanta, Georgia. Now, at first... You know, you, you see the picture, you clearly see, you know, who this rapper is. I think it was Jack Harlow or somebody like that, uh, whoever that is. And then um, uh, Lou Will is in the picture as well. Now, Lou Will has an NBA quarantine PPE mask on. And those are only given out to the players. Those are pretty exclusive. So, you know, it, it really came down to determining whether or not who it was. It really wasn't a big guess. It was actually him. Um now, he had been excused, supposedly, uh, from the bubble uh, for the, uh, to, to attend a funeral. Now, when in Atlanta, I mean, all of those who are hip noted to you that, I mean, Atlanta, uh, you know, is, is a city for strip clubs. Uh, they have some pretty great ones. And also, um, Magic City has some good food if you really, uh, if you really, really know about, if you're really hip to it. So, Lou Williams, he had his own signature lemon pepper Lou wings uh, at the venue. So we can all assume that that's probably where he went to go, you know, uh, to grab some of his wings. But coming back to the bubble um, after this investigation, the NCAA, or I'm sorry, the NBA stated that um, he had to self-quarantine uh, for 10 more days and that, and that he was tested every day he was away from the bubble. Um, it all turned out well. He didn't 
you know, contract, uh, you know, the virus, which is, you know, ultimately great. Um, but he did cause quite a stir. And, you know, that has to be, uh, you know, contrast with the uh, treating of, you know, James Harden. Which we'll get to next. But I think it's pertinent to point out here that Lou Williams turned this, uh, you know, uh, if you call it a scandal, uh, whatever you want to call it, into a way to make money. So he's now acquired a trademark for Lemon Pepper Lou. You know, it's just a nickname for uh, and the name of those wings that you could get down at um, at Magic City. So that's a good way to turn that, you know, sort of negative into a positive. I'm glad to see um, how that played out. But, you know, to get back on track, um, it's interesting to see how his treatment during the bubble is sort of contrastly treated with... Um, or con- or contrast with the treatment James Harden has been getting uh, for his absences from the NBA, from training camp, uh, preseason, etc. Um, and for you know those instances of uh, of his absence, James Harden has been fined fifty thousand dollars and was unavailable to the Houston Rockets for quite some time as he was under um, protocol, COVID protocol, and he violated. Uh, the rules and regulations. Now that led to um, other players, you know, uh, out of out of an abundance of caution, to also quarantine. So John Wall and Boogie Cousins also had to quarantine uh, before you know the start of the um, before they started the season. So it's interesting to see how that all played out. I think. Leagues will be taking uh, violations a lot more serious now that everyone has kind of sort of readjusted to uh, the post-COVID world. And that's all I have for you guys. Uh, Thanks again for checking us out this year. Uh, As I stated, season two will be coming out very soon. If you guys like what you hear, be sure to hit subscribe, like, comment, uh, follow us on Twitter at AthLegalEase. Follow us on Instagram at AthLegalEase. Uh, we're also on Clubhouse now because, of course, we're living in the 21st or what is this, 22nd century. Um, so be sure to check us out. Um, subscribe, like, shoot us a DM. We're even open to questions. Uh, we're looking forward to a great 2021. We've got a lot in store. Uh, even a new format uh, for how our shows will be operating. So be sure to check that check that out. Check us out, um, and you don't want to miss out. So peace and happiness in the year 2021. Uh, we look forward to growth. We look forward to getting more sports back and a little bit more sense of normalcy. So prayers up to that. Peace, everyone.